Hello again to all of our friends. Welcome back to I Minored in Art History. Yes, this is Nisa. I did do that. This is Jocelyn. I did do that. Wow, season two, guys. Welcome back. Uh, it's been a hot minute. Emphasis on the hot. Hot. It's very hot. I am sweating my backside off so in here. fucking hot right now. It's like mad hot. Are you actually warm in here? Oh, yeah. Do you need me to, to fix the temperature? Um, no, it's fine. Are you sure? Yes. I There's just, a fan if you want it. I constantly suffer. You just, I just like to suffer. <laughs> I love suffering. You know what, Jocelyn? I can get behind that because I also like to suffer. <laughs> it's the masochist in me. It's like my it's like my least favorite personality trait about myself. Yeah. I just don't like it. I, I vibe with that, though. Yeah. Vibes. Weavy. <laughs> Why? Well, we vibes. So, oh my god, you guys. You guys, you guys. Uh, last time we left you, I did not have... A new job. She didn't have that. I don't think. Uh, it's been a, a while since you I were actually applying, yes. and we didn't know yet, and yes. we were waiting to see what you were going to get. So I actually managed to get a library job, so I no longer make t-shirts. I now... Yay! Yay! Everybody give Jocelyn a small clap. I can fucking hear you, so you better <laughs> clap. <laughs> Bitches. Thanks, me. Um, but yeah, so now I work at the freaking library. Which I like a lot better. Um, I do still see some people that were customers at Big Frog, mm. which is a little odd. I actually haven't seen John Marone yet. Okay. But I've seen his books. Yeah. They've been on the hold shelves a lot. So he'll be, he'll be around. <laughs> he'll be around sometime. You'll see him eventually. Yeah. You know what? It's not a bad thing, you know? It's not. Old, reliable, old, familiar faces. <laughs> It's like predictable interactions. That's what I always like with people is that like if you get like a certain person that you've met before, like, yeah, it might not be your favorite person to talk right. to, but you at least know what you can expect. Yes. Yeah. The the devil that you know. Exactly. <laughs> uh, if you guys hear some different background noises than you're used to, it's because we're at Nisa's. Woo! Nisa's oh, yeah, guys, I bought a house. Nisa's beautiful, beautiful house. And um, Sixto, the dog who you met on a prior episode uh last season is just getting into everything yep he's being a little shit which he is want to do and I just threw him on the floor no yeah he, he's springy he'll he'll land on his feet most of the time he's a disgusting little creature i told him earlier that there was a movie made about him and it was called et mm-hmm. yeah he he starred in that Yep. He's also starred in quite a few Taco Bell commercials <laughs> and you know what it has made me want Taco Bell less which can only be a good thing <laughs> in the long run. I was going to say, that's probably not bad for your body. No, I was going to say, you know, thank you, Sixto, for <laughs> keeping me away from Taco Bell. Taco as a whole, hell. I don't need more Taco Bell in my life. But, you know, I see that mangy chihuahua hustling tacos and I want to <laughs> run away. I don't want to be there. I'm glad that I'm not the only one that hates chihuahuas now. I never really loved them, to be honest with you. I can't, like, I can't... So, Victoria had, like, the best chihuahua ever. Like, the sweetest little oh, yes, I recall. baby angel. And... Nicolina. Nicolina. And she was so great, and we all loved her. And that was, like, the only good chihuahua I've ever met in my life. Yeah. Hey, and remains... Oh. oh, me and Victoria live together. Oh, yeah, that happened. That happened. We're roommates. For the time being, she is trying to buy her own house, so... Um, yeah it's it's gonna be good i think like you know she's she's making moves she's going on a lot yeah. of showings and stuff she had like a really good prospect recently so excellent that's yeah, great we'll see. We'll see how it goes. uh me and bunny are also moving in together Woo! 
So yeah, I'm supposed to I I need to sign the lease paperwork and conjure up some money. Oh, another thing that happened, you guys, in the, in the time between last season and this season, my cat, who is a very intelligent girl who came from the dumpster, and I'm using intelligent uh, as a sarcastic uh, descriptor, loose loose verbiage, <laughs> intelligent in that she can you know walk around. I mean, she can open the back screen door. She can use her paws. She can. Well, that was eventful. That was terrifying. Um, so I, I don't. I have a little baby Chihuahua here that is Victoria's Chihuahua, and yeah, he is the absolute worst. Like, yeah, he just started screaming because apparently something happened between him and the cats, which has never happened before. And we it, don't even know what it was. It was food time, and everyone ran towards the bowl, and then there was just screaming. Yep, and then there was just horrific. loud, horrific chihuahua noises. <laughs> Absolutely the worst thing I've heard this week. Yeah, that's what. No, that's what he sounds like a lot, actually, because oh, he sounds like he sounds like that when you put him in the cage. That's how I knew it was his voice mm. doing that, because like. None of the other... I'll take a screaming child over that, actually. But I will literally... I'm going to be fine with the kid, because I've lived with him. Yeah. This is just preparation for the baby. Oh. Anyway. Anyway, fun stuff. Um, We will tell you art history stories. Art history stuff. Oh, wait, you were telling us about Sylvia. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my dumbass cat, who my ex found near a dumpster when he was in school when we were together decided that uh, she was going to swallow my sewing needle. So had to take her to the emergency vet for surgery, which cost me a whopping $4,000. That's insane to me. Yes. And then the very next day, I started my new job. So. So much fun. Good times. I still can't believe she did that. I can, because she's a dumbass. <laughs> Like, bad girl. Uh, yeah. I was, like, sewing up a toe guard. I was making myself a new toe guard for my skates. Because the cute toe guards that my derby wife got me are kind of falling apart. Because uh, they fall a lot. And then uh, my mom came in, and she was talking to me. And then Sylvia came in, and I had put my needle down at the end of the bed instead of putting it in a pincushion like a smart person. Mm. And I was like, oh, she's being so cute. And I went to take a picture and I was like, what are you eating? What are you? Oh, my God, that's my needle. And then she ran away and she swallowed the needle. <laughs> so, yeah. Fun, fun, fun. I can't, I can't believe. Like, of all the things to eat, she goes for a fucking pointy object. I don't dealt with an animal that does, like, inherently dangerous things. I think like, she without has knowing. pica. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know I do know some cats that have pica. I mean, my cats eat plastic like she loves to eat plastic yeah they don't chew a lot of it though i like, found an entire rubber band in her feces one time oh my god yeah she's just a bad girl she just uh, she bad girl she's just a dingbat no well damn sylvia bad girl <laughs> yes so anyways would you like to read your story first would you like me to read mine I did a super long one. I did a heavy hitter, Mr. Norman Rockwell. Mr. Norman Rockwell. So, um, I don't know if it's better to put mine in the front end or the back end. Um, I don't know. 
<laughs> Mine's um not super long because my person is still alive. Okay. So, do you want to go first? Sure, I can do that. Hang on. Actually, do you want to go ahead and I'll figure this out? Yeah, I can. Because I'm an idiot. Can do my man Norm. Sorry, guys. All right. Well, so Norman Rockwell, who was born on February third, eighteen ninety four. And in New York City, he was he was one of three boys. His parents were Jarvis and Anne Mary, but they called her Nancy for some reason, which I found really weird. <laughs> Nancy? Yeah, I was like, what? But that's his mom. Nancy and Jarvis. And he was, fun fact, he was descended from early American colonizers who first came over from England. So he his family had been in America, like, one of the longest families in America, so... Oh. Yeah, his family was here from 1635, so before America was America. America! America! Fuck yeah! (laughs) I like how we said something different. (laughs) He was raised somewhat well-to-do in a religious household, um, and they spent a lot of time at their church in Greenwich Village. I know Morocco was a religious guy, like, somewhat religious, so... They summered often in their country home, which Rockwell said provided him inspiration for his early paintings. His father happened to be a hobby artist, and he was a textile manager, so he had a strong sense of perspective. Mm. And he worked with Norman and his other brothers on how to draw, and he often helped them copy popular illustrations at the time. And he read Charles Dickens to the boys, which was what prompted Norman to start creating his own versions of the characters. Interesting. Yeah, so he had like a lot of early stuff that inspired him. So regular schoolwork he wasn't very good at, and he spent much of his time in class drawing. Of course, as we all did. And he started to realize that that was the only thing he was actually good at. So he was like, well, I gotta pursue it. He really leaned into it. He did! I mean, (laughs) at age 14, he took art classes at the Chase School of Art, and that's when he was introduced to John Singer Sargent and James McNeil Whistler, which if you look at Norman Rockwell's stuff versus their stuff, it's very obvious that that was like his first inclination of classic American illustration and, and what kind of started him on it. So after two years, he decided to pursue art as a career, enrolling in the National Academy of Design, then later transferring to the Arts Students League. That's where he met Thomas Fogarty, who specialized in illustration, and that's who prepared Rockwell for his later commercial career. And then also he met George Bridgman who assisted him with the technical life drawings. So, you know how Norman Rockwell is like, he's a very good character artist. Like, his command of just how to draw people in places in perspective, mm-hmm. that was uh, largely due to George Bridgman. Mm. It was like your classic, you know... I see. Draw from a live model kind of guy. Draw from a live model because it helps. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. When Rockwell was 18, Fogarty set up a connection with Edward Cave, who was involved with the Boys Life magazine, and that was the the magazine for the Boy Scouts. But it was a really popular publication, actually, at the time. Mm -hmm. So Cave commissioned Rockwell for 400 illustration contributions to the magazine, as well as an illustrated camping guide. 400 and a camping guide? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. And that's what kicked him off into his very strong commercial career. So at 19, um, which was just a year later, he became the editor for Boys Life magazine, which was a very respectable salaried job. 
Love a good salary job, baby. As an aside, I also wanted to like add this like funny thing that happened. So this was also this was around the time that the that World War One was going on. So uh, Norman Rockwell wanted to enlist in the army, but he when he signed up for the army, he was too skinny because you had to be if you were six foot, which Norman Rockwell was six foot, you had to be over one hundred and forty pounds. And he was under 140 pounds at six foot. Sheesh. So he went home and like ate a bunch of bananas and drank a bunch of stuff in order to become part of the army. And so when they enlisted him, they didn't even enlist him as like a regular soldier. They made him a like a life drawer. So he like spent his little tour that he did, which wasn't very long um, as a. He was basically just documenting. Yeah, he literally just sat there and he never saw combat. Good for him. So he did all that. Ate a bunch of bananas. Just so that he could sit and draw. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so yeah, little stint in the army. And then over the next few years, Rockwell convinced his family to set up in New Rochelle, New York, which we're so familiar with. Oh, yes. We talked about since before. Yeah, that's where all the that's where all the fun people hung out. And that was a haven, which we know because if you listen to our previous episodes, we talk about it. Oh. And that's where J.C. Decker was. And J.C. Decker was like a huge influence to Norman Rockwell. So it kind of made sense. He was like, let me go. Hang out with the, the OGs. Lots of cults. So the move helped Rockwell Network, and um, some of the best illustrators and cartoonists were in the area. So one of which was Clyde Victor Forsyth, who was a Boys Life alumni, and he worked for the Saturday Evening Post. So as soon as they soon set up a studio together, and Forsyth pushed Rockwell to submit his work to the Saturday Evening Post. And within the first year of submitting in 1916, Rockwell's paintings made the cover eight times. That's impressive. That was literally, like, how talented he was. That's, like, like, you can't just do that. He didn't just come out on the scene. He fucking popped out on the scene. He just was like, this is me. He said, what's up? Yeah, he's like, hi, world, what's up? And so over his lifetime, Rockwell's work would feature the cover 323 times over 47 years. So this was just the beginning of a very long, very prosperous relationship between the two. So, and 1916 was also another big year for Rockwell. He met and married Irene O'Connor, who was a local school teacher, three years his senior. Oh, so scandalous. Three years older. I know, she was an old lady. (laughs) And Rockwell's success skyrocketed between his work with Life, the Saturday Evening Post, Literary Digest, Country Gentleman. Like, he was in everything. He kind of was the hot ticket Mm -hmm. illustrator of the time, so... And he was only very young. He was in his early 20s. Like, right, right. He was just super. So he started to early on feel like, I think we all get this as artists. It's just this like overwhelming sense of fatigue when you are overworked and you're stressed and you're staying up and you're getting things done. You're just like, can't handle it. Constantly. Yeah. That's, that's where Lion Decker was. Or why am I saying Lion Decker? That's where Rockwell was. Because <laughs> we're thinking about J.C. Lion Decker. I really do love the man. He's great. That was a good episode. It was. Very good. So at, at this point, he began to slow down already, even though he had literally just started. But he was so exhausted. And he turned to his connections with other, with other artists to help examine his style to see if he was even like growing and, and making strides in his artwork. That's good that he was like reflective enough to be like, hey, can you look at this and make sure I'm doing more good? Well, he was known for being cartoony and he I don't think he really wanted himself to be cartoony. Like, yeah, he didn't really see that as his style. He right. was like. I'm, you know, I'm being viewed as this cartoonish guy, but that's not really yeah, what I am. Yeah, that's what, like, all my drawings are very shitty and grungy, and I'm like, oh, man, I just want my stuff to be clean. <laughs> it's not. 
Well, he went to other artists who he admired. So one of them was J.C. Liondecker. And he also wandered the streets looking for character models. Like, that was something he wanted to do to push himself. Well, yeah. I mean, he didn't have Craigslist or anything. So. He'd be like, yo, come pose for me. <laughs> They're like, who the fuck are you? Hey, can I draw your face? He also started to adopt a more painterly style, so he stopped being so exacting when he when he drew and when he painted. That does help with burnout. Like, doing less fine detail stuff when you don't need to. Yeah, I mean, but he was classically trained, you know, so. Yeah. It's almost like, kind of let it go. Um, in 1922, Rockwell decided to take a trip to Paris to study, and while he was there, he did a tour of France, Italy, and Switzerland. And after this trip, Rockwell, Rockwell carried the theme of his of travel and his work throughout the 1920s and 1930s. Rockwell wasn't happy in his marriage, so in 1924, he left Irene and moved into a male-only artist's club located in Manhattan. Oh, poor Irene. However, Irene chased him down there, and together they moved back into a newly built house in New Rochelle. She said, stop, come she, back. She's like, bitch, we're married, get the fuck back here. <laughs> Uh, a year later, Rockwell decided that he needed a break again, and he went to a cabin in the woods by himself so he could paint all the time. I feel like that would have been, like, such a scandal. I mean, yeah, maybe. He didn't really give a fuck. The only thing he wanted, like, this man just wanted, like, his own space and just to paint. Like, that's yeah. all he ever wanted. And like, like, the, like, not a scandal for him, necessarily, but, like, for his wife. It's like, oh, your husband left you to go live with men? Oh, your husband left you to go paint in the woods? Like... I mean, he was known to be a cheater. Like, he was, he was, that was, like, one of the, He was a hoe for show. He was literally, he was a hoe. Like, like, he was known to step out and kind of, he was a ladies' man. So Irene chased him, and then uh, they went back and built a new house in R New Rochelle. And then a year later, Rockwell's like, peace, I gotta go again. I don't want to be with you, bitch. And went to the woods. And his friend Clyde Forsyth commented on it uh, later in his life and said, there had never been a period of brilliance in the course of Norman Rockwell's advance. The answer is work and after work, more work, after work in the studio, work at home, reading worthwhile literature on art and life, thinking out ideas, studying and work. Hobbies are uh, Rockwell's hobbies are work and work. Um, Irene and Norman seem to live completely separate lives at this point past like 1924. So mm -hmm. in 1929, after Rockwell traveled with some friends abroad, he came back and he found that Irene had fallen in love with a more, quote, masculine man. I mean, I don't blame her. That man wasn't even there. I mean, yeah. But he was also known to be like a cheater and like kind of an asshole. So. Yeah. I mean, I'd be like, okay, well, you're going to go have fun with your friends. Guess what? I'm going to go have me some fun with somebody else. Fuck you. Yeah. So she found herself a new man. And then she was asking, she asked him for a divorce. Good for you, Irene. So after this, Rockwell became deeply depressed, um, even though, you know, he, he his did it to himself. I have literally his reputation kind of he deserved it. And then he traveled to California to visit Clyde, the for uh, Clyde Forsyth, his his buddy old pal. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, in California, Clyde introduced him to his next wife. Not even like a year. This was in the same year. Her name is Mary Barstow, and she was another teacher who was 14 years his junior. Oh, now that's a scandal for me. I mean... So, they married in 1930, the same year as his divorce to Irene, and in 1932, Mary Rockwell urged Mary to go with him to Paris to assist with him regaining his inspiration, and she went with him, despite having their five-month-old son with her. Oh, that must have been rough. So basically, at that point, he was running on fumes again, and he feared slowing down when 
This is also a time when public expectation of his work was super duper high. Right. So they were all pressuring him to do more and to... Give us more content. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> content. Yeah. So almost as soon as they arrived, it became apparent that the illustration scene in France was not the same as the U.S., mm-hmm. and they were not going to support Rockwell's work the same way. Oh, no. So literally almost as soon as they get there, they realize, shit, Rockwell has no career here. Norman Rockwell don't mean no, no <laughs> nothing over here. So they decided to go back to America. Mm. So they got there, then left, and went back in the fall. So Rockwell went back to his studio in New Rochelle, and his wife began preparing for the arrival of their second son, named Thomas. Thomas. So they had two kids, like, back-to-back. Um, in 1935, Rockwell was offered a commission from George Macy of Macy Department Stores, who wanted to celebrate the 100th birthday of Mark Twain, or his real name, Samuel L. Clemens. And he had the idea to re-release his famous books, Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer. So Rockwell traveled to Hannibal, Missouri, where the books are based in, in order to create eight color plates for each of the books, which were published in 1936 and 1940. In 1939, Norman and Mary moved to Arlington, Virginia. And this move was honestly something that Rockwell had probably been craving his his whole life. He just wanted to be somewhere calm in the countryside where he could just focus on painting. And this place in Arlington was, was perfect for him. So he thrived there and it was very peaceful and he began to pick up a taste for painting the small town American lifestyle. And that, and that would become his defining style and his defining feature. Americana. This was to be short lived, however, because the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor in 1941. And because of that, he turned his attention to painting freedom and liberty and he was inspired by President Roosevelt's address to of Congress to paint the Four Freedoms, which were published in 1943 as four consecutive covers of the Saturday Evening Post. Mm. And to say that these paintings, these are his absolute all-time most famous paintings. There's no mistaking them. It's the it's the painting we've all seen of the family around the turkey, of the guy standing up in the pew and giving a speech. It's his most notable works came from this. Um, so the series brought in more than $130 million toward the war effort from the Department of Treasury using them as war bonds. And Rockwell personally considered freedom of speech to be his favorite of the four, while freedom from want is probably his most well-known. The same, the same year that this ha- happened with these paintings, um, many of his old costumes, props, and paintings in his studio were destroyed in a fire. Due to this, like, he couldn't uh, use the same, like, costumes. He had a lot of period costumes and a lot of, like, props that he had collected throughout the years. And Mm -hmm. so he started focusing on um, modern-day styles of painting and and modern-day clothes and and featuring real people. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of splits his work into two different groups between, you know, the old style and and the new stuff. Right. They also, his family moved into an 18th-century farmhouse, which Rockwell converted into his new studio. And the next several years, the couple spent happily raising their family and enjoying the outdoors before it became apparent that Mary had become an alcoholic. Oh, dear. 
Yeah, I guess country life. <laughs> what do you want to do? Perhaps, Drink. Perhaps she was not quite as happy as we were led to believe. I mean, it does seem like Norman was kind of benefiting the most out of this arrangement. Oh, like she's over course. there probably slaving away, like with the kids, of course. Yeah. I mean, how else does anybody become an alcoholic? Over it's a just, hot stove. Right. Constantly. And he's just like, yeah, this is great. I'm left alone to my own devices and I'm painting in my barn. And she's like, yeah, I'm alone with the kids for fucking ever. I'm going to kill myself. Hashtag life is great. <laughs> Hashtag everything's awesome. As a couple, actually, they sought treatment for her at a private me- mental health center called Austin Riggs. After receiving shock treatments, Rockwell joined her because he wanted it to help his depression and his anxiety. They even moved to Massachusetts to be closer to the treatment center where they could get this done. That's a ways to go for some treatment. To get shocked. Yeah. Yeah. Literally to get shocked. I have heard, though, that actually, like, current um, shock therapy does actually help people. They've changed it a little bit. Have they? Have they fixed it up? A little bit. Yeah. I don't know if it helps everybody, but it helps some people. Apparently my aunt had it done, Mm. and it's helped her, so. Hey, whatever works. Just jolt your brain a little bit. Yeah, you know, just give it a little jump start. Give it a little zip zip. At that time, so with all three of their boys attending private school and the cost of their health care, Rockwell returned to work at the Post in 1955, where he took a job of painting portraits of the two presidential candidates of the time, Dwight D. Eisenhower and Adlai Stevenson. He also began working on his autobiography. In the summer of 1959, Mary died suddenly of a heart attack at only 51, definitely nothing to do with all the electric shocks she was receiving. No, no, not at all. You know, could have just been normal natural causes. (laughs) And just your average everyday heart attack. I mean, as an alcoholic, you do damage your heart. Oh, um, for sure. When that happened, he became very badly shaken. He became unfocused and depressed, and his friends all rallied around him in support. And soon he was back working on the Post, uh, publishing, cons- and the Post started publishing consecutive excerpts of his autobiography in 1960, which was a hit. Mm. Yeah, so Norman being Norman, he wasn't single for very long. Um, he met Molly Punderson, another teacher who he married a year later in 1961. Shocker. I know. Like, literally. <laughs> like, <laughs> He's hot for teacher. He cannot be fucking single and it's always a fucking teacher. Like, I can't. So, interested to learn about Russian history of all things, Ooh. the pair flew off on a trip to Russia from 1963 to 1964. Different. Do we know what he did with the children during that time? Yeah, no, I fuck. They just got written out of the narrative. <laughs> They're just gone. They're just gone. <laughs> they died with I their do mother. Think, I do think at that time, because what, it was 1955, they're both in private school, I mean, all three of them are private schools, so I, I think at that point, they're probably old enough, like they're teenagers. Oh, yeah, that's true. So they probably I, struck off on their own. They were like, bye, Dad. Yeah, because, like, what? It, uh, him and um, Mary got married in uh, 1930. So. Oh, yeah, I guess you're yeah, right. By 1960, they're like 20. So. I can't. 20, 30 count. years old. This is why I work at a library and not at a bank. Because <laughs> <laughs> I cannot count. Yeah. They probably still were pissed. They're like, Dad, take us with you. <laughs> <laughs> I would be. I'd be like, damn. Fuck you, Dad. I want to go to Russia. <laughs> yeah. Well, on this trip, so they stopped by Egypt so Rockwell could paint the portrait of President Nasser, and that would become his last painting for the Post. The Post would eventually fall to financial decline right after this. So, yeah. Norman Rockwell uh, did find other means of painting and doing things. So Look Magazine picked up Rockwell in his 1964 painting for 
for Look, the problem we all live with, which tackled the theme of segregation, had um, social impact on the era of the civil rights protests. So that's the year my dad was born. During the same year, his wife and other women from Stockbridge looked towards setting up a museum and purchased a building. And they named it the Norman Rockwell Museum. He donated several works to it, and it became, you know, very successful through that. That's nice of them to do. Yeah, you know. She said, oh, honey, I'm going to set up a museum for you. She's like, ladies, let's get together. Let's make him a museum. (laughs) So the remainder of his life, Rockwell spent participating in retrospectives and tours. Um, and they brought in huge audiences across the U.S. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, a lot of places in Manhattan, a lot of places in, you know, where he lived in New Rochelle. Yeah. In the 1970s, his health was in decline to the point where he recorded periods of mental fatigue on his calendar to where he just couldn't work. Oh, man. Yeah. He was also having trouble distinguishing colors due to his cataracts. Bummer. Yeah. Um, and nine, uh, November 8th, 1978, Norman Rockwell passed away peacefully in his own bed. David Wood, a family friend and tenant, led a short eulogy beginning with Norman's favorite poem, Ab Abo Ben Adam, which is a romantic poem by the British poet James Lee Hunt about the love of one man for his fellow man, which is also a love of God. So he was, you know, a pretty religious guy at the end there. Religiously. We'll go with. He with a world deal with my name. <laughs> and that is Norman Rockwell, you know, left behind a legacy of painting American folks. Love went me. to France. They were like, we don't fucking want you. And he goes, <laughs> let me go back to America where I'm wanted. <laughs> so, excellent. Yeah, excellent. Himself. Wonderful research, Lisa. Thank you Wonderful. for sharing with Wonderful. us. You're welcome. That's me clapping. I know it might not clap, sound clap, like clap. clapping. Clap, clap, clap. It's clapping. I just clap. Did you find your story, Jocelyn? I did. I just realized this whole time I could have been sitting like this and looking at you. You could have, yeah. I could have. I just figured it out We could have been doing now. the same routine we've always done. Sit next to each other? It's the same routine we've always done. Sitting next to each other and looking at each other or telling each other, shit. So, I finally got my thing to download. I did this really smart thing where I saved it as a pages file instead of a PDF. Oh, yeah. So it wouldn't open in Google Drive. So I had to download it. And then I was like, how do I download? There's no download button. I had to make it available offline, which Mm. is stupid. And then share it to my files on my phone, Mm -hmm. which is ass backwards, if you ask me. So, you guys, um, I wanted to talk about a graphic designer for once, since that was actually my major in college, you know. Oh, yeah? Who'd you got? I... Well, you know, wanted to talk about a woman, because male graphic designers are a dime a dozen. A so, lady. So, we're going to talk about Jessica Heesh. Ooh, never heard of her. Yes. Um, the reason that I want to talk about Jessica Heesh is not only because it took me three times to type her name out correctly for these notes, <laughs> um, but also because my professor in college, Elizabeth, would bring her up as an artist that she respected. And it was very rare that Elizabeth respected very many artists enough to talk about them in class. So I was like, let's talk about her. So, you know, Jessica Heesh, uh, all-American white bread that she is, currently at the ripe age of 38, is, uh, you know, she's a fantastical individual. I can't talk right now. Is she still alive? She's still alive, yes. Oh, she's only 38. She's only 38. Oh, she's wow. youngin'. Oh, wow, she's, yeah. She's, but, uh. Um, she's somebody we could know. <laughs> potentially, yes. 
I Jessica. love I write these notes out and then I immediately go off script. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we do that <laughs> every time. So then I'm like, wait, I already said this. Jessica Heesh, uh, born April 4th, 1984. Hello, Aries. In Charleston, South Carolina, but apparently mainly raised in Hazleton, Pennsylvania. Uh, she was educated at the Tyler School of Art and Architecture at Temple University in sunny Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This is a joke. Mm-hmm. That's I have that in my notes. In parentheses, this is a hey, joke. Hey, it's always sunny. Correct. That's the joke. <laughs> it's not a good one. I don't really watch that show, so... I- it's honestly... I didn't immediately get it. Yeah. Um, if you don't understand that it's supposed to be, like, making characters, like, caricatures of these people, like, the worst versions of themselves, mm-hmm. it's not funny. Once you realize that, then it is funny. It's not everybody's humor. But anyway, um, she graduated in 2006 with a BFA in Graphic and Interactive Design, and she is primarily known for her lettering art illustration, and type design. So she's kind of one of those people that do a lot of things. She's also a New York Times best-selling author and a cat lover who's great at using swear words. So I really relate to that. A cat lover who's great at using swear words. Yeah. Yep. No, I, I totally get that. Mm-hmm. That's me. Yeah. It's it's like, yeah, like, this is a person I could hang out with, potentially. That's what, that's what I'm saying. We could know her. Yeah. We could try to know her. She's off in California, so it would be a, a little bit of difficult, mm. long-distance like relationship. I mean, I, I liked San Diego when I visited, but... Whale's vagina. <laughs> oh, yes. We talked about that. No, we can't go to San Diego. That's where a uh, <laughs> sh- shithead... Uh, baby daddy is from. Oh, boo. 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 Fuck that him. guy. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. Anyway, uh, Jessica Heesh has two different books out and like a little journaly thing and like a process book of like how she makes her stuff. Okay. Which is neato. Um, and interestingly enough, the resurgence of artistic hand lettering seems to kind of coincide with her rise in the art world. So, like, all that shit with the fancy, like, oh, this is my hand-painted sign that I made for my house. Like, that kind of stuff has kind of come more to fruition because she was like, hey, I'm going to make these letters and they look pretty. Is that what she, yeah. That's how I'm saying That's it. how she said it. That's, <laughs> I'm going to make these letters look pretty. <laughs> That's probably not how she and would And air I'll put them in their house. <laughs> yeah, I'm Jessica. <laughs> Yeah. She does not sound the like that. The yassification of Jessica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to uh, start. She was actually um, previously featured in Forbes 30 Under 30, two years in a row. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Making a name. As well as a number of appearances in Print Magazine, which is only impressive if you are into that. <laughs> um, I Do mean, you subscribe to Print Magazine? <laughs> I don't. No. But uh, I did go through their online archives because, you know, it's ironic that it's called Print Magazine, but it's all online. That's a little, yeah. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little <laughs> but nobody gets, like, regular magazines anymore. Like, that's not a thing. I mean, somebody does. It's not me. 
Um, but she's also worked for big name clients like Adobe, Bath and Body Works, Etsy, Hershey's, Nike, Target, Urban Outfitters, and Wes Anderson. Uh, she, yeah, she designed the titles for Moonrise Kingdom. Oh, I love that movie. That was filmed in Rhode Island. I did not realize that. Yeah, I should of, have. A lot of places where I, I grew up, like the place where I had like soccer practice, like that's where they filmed it. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Me likey that. I was uh, I was expecting something different when I watched that movie. Yeah. Because I think, like, the way that the trailer was done, it made me expect something that was not what the movie was. Yeah, well, Wes Anderson's trailers are, are set up specifically so you're not supposed to know what you're going to get. Yeah, that's true. Like, they're just enough to, like, intrigue you. Yeah. And then you get there and you're wait, the plot of this movie is completely different than what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. So like I I for that reason I didn't particularly love Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. I mean, it's a Bildog Roman coming of age story. Yeah. Which is his kind of bread and butter. Right. Which, you know, I wasn't really familiar at that time with. I watched it a couple times before I was like I was like, okay, I, I completely get this. I'm yeah. like, yeah. I I just found that like the two characters of the kids yeah. like i didn't think that they were super believable as a couple. right yeah like, i didn't either i was, I like, was like, that was like my thing yeah i i just didn't i thought the kids from the budapest hotel had like a much better chemistry yeah than the kids in, in moonrise kingdom i'm trying to remember if i watched that movie or not was that the one that had um ray fines oh no i didn't watch that one though <laughs> Okay, I watched something Ray Fiennes else. is like is like the he's one of the main characters in yeah. the Pest Hotel. I what am I? There's one with like Maggie Smith. Is that not? I could look on IMDb. Hmm. You guys that are listening are going to be like, you're a dingbat. <laughs> we can look on IMDb and we can research uh, it with our hands. We can. I've actually been doing so much research at the library for people. That I never thought I would have to do. Oh, Adrian Brody's in it? Yeah, I definitely did not watch this. Jeff Goldblum's in it? Jude Law? Yeah, okay, so I didn't watch that one. Mm-hmm. There's some other hotel movie that had D- Dame Maggie Smith in it. And uh, it's going to bother me if I don't look it up. I'm d- oh, the Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. You can see why I got them confused. They're both hotels. Oh, they're both hotels. <laughs> I'm Dame Maggie Smith. Yeah, best exotic. Okay, yeah, it's coming up for me too. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I, anyway, anyway, um, I love Maggie Smith. I, I love her Abby. too. She's, but more about Jessica. More about Jessica. Yes. Back to the topic at hand. Oops, shit! I just closed it because I'm a genius. She's a genius, folks. <laughs> I'm so intelligent. Give her a hand. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Uh, here we go. Part of the reason that Ms. Heesha's work is so successful is that she creates kind of like an extension of herself with it. So, like, when you look at her work, you kind of, like, see her in it. Like, mm. it gives you, like, her presence was how it was described in one of the articles that I read. And I was just present. like, oh, okay, we love a good present. Just I love a fat present. <laughs> big fat. Big fat fucking present. Give me that. 
present. Well, one of her more recent works that is on her Instagram, uh, I think it's a letterpress piece. It's called Everything is Okay, maybe. So I have a little picture here I put in my document. So you can see it's got Looks like words. Looks like letters. It's got fun colors. It's got kind of like a whimsical energy to it. Because we got different shades. I felt that. I felt the whimsical energy. Yeah, did you feel the whimsy? Yeah, the text just slapped me in the face with whimsy. (laughs) Um, So I'll put that on the gram, obviously. But um, it's got these cute little, like, you've got, like, a light pink. We got a hot pink. We got a blue that's light and sky colored. We got yellow. Yeah. We got green. We got green. And we got the orange. But everything is, like, all tight, close up. And then we got some overlapping and some underlapping that gives us, like, some visual movement. And it kind of has, like, this sort of haphazard look to it. But it's not. It's intentional. Good. Which I thought she intended that. We love intention, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like a couple different photos of it on her Instagram. So there's one where just like it has some of the letters, and then there's one with like all the letters, and you can like, oh, she work on this. But I think letterpress stuff is really cool. I don't know if you know anything about letterpress. Um, actually, Elizabeth, my former professor, does letterpress now along with teaching but it's how they used to make all kinds of stuff it's a little bit less in fashion now because it's pretty expensive to use it but most of the time you have like metal type or like wooden type Mm -hmm. and then you get your press and the ink and you put the paper and it goes so it's sort of like block printing but not really okay not really (laughs) I mean, I know that, okay, so, like, letterpress is when you were used to line every single letter up individually, and then you would press it, right? Um, well, here's, like, a little thingy of, like, a letterpress. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So they kind of make, like, block, like, they kind of have blocks, and they can set it up on the, uh... Right. On the band, however they want to. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting process. It. I'm gonna have to bookmark this so I can put it on the gram later. Squish that stamp, <laughs> make that print. <laughs> but it's cool because you know you can get the same thing a bunch of different times without doing like a screen printing sort of deal. Right. So I like it. I think it's cool because it goes like into the paper. Or, I guess you could deboss with it if you did it backward. Anyway, um, I'm going off on a tangent again. Um, a lot of Jessica's work sort of takes inspiration from incorporating filigree-like shapes. So these like scrolling, intricate, delicate kind of like mm-hmm. twirly things that sometimes make it unreadable. Um, but like it's more about the vibe, you know? It's- it's that and out. It's the aesthetics. Get weighty. Can you not sit on my foot, please? Thank you. Um, so he uses these elements to capture a feeling beyond the color and the context. She likes to put some of her hand-drafted lettering stuff into humorous sayings, like this one that says, Will you be my Valentine? Which Valentine is crossed out, and then it says, Permanent ride to the airport. <laughs> exactly, though. And so like, That is how I feel. We'll text her there. And that's also from her Instagram. Yeah, yeah. 
So she's got like her curly cues and her curly cues. She's got a nice mix of this swirling calligraphy kind of text, and then she's got this bold, loosely curved sans serif font. Which, if that didn't make any sense to you, it's because you didn't take any typography classes. <laughs> yeah, listeners, take a fucking typography class. I, being all knowing and all powerful. Definitely knew what she was talking about. Uh, so kerning is like the space between letters. Yeah, yeah. And yep. a, a sans serif font is something like Futura that doesn't have any extra little hoopty doos on the ends of letters. Yeah, no hoopty doos. <laughs> no tiny feet. So like a serif font would be like Times New Roman. Serifs have feet. Correct. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Totally knew that. I knew you'd know what I meant. I knew. I knew. It's more for our listeners. I definitely didn't have those mixed up in my head. <laughs> well, sans means without. So jot that down. That's yeah. what I had to say when I went to Costa Rica when I was 14. Oh, shit. And they totally gave me alcohol. Nice. Anyway. Excellent. And Good I went, choice, Costa Rica. I went. <laughs> Baby niece's alcoholic. I was just like. Oh, beverages. <laughs> Over the past 15 years, he has expanded her reach and refined her style to become the successful woman she is today. She is. She's doing great. She's got a husband. She's got, like, three kids. She's got her own studio. Like, she's making it happen. She... I don't think a husband and kids define success. No. I just want to say... It does not. That sounds terrible to me. Like... No, for sure. You're, you're saying, oh, she's super successful. Whoa, she sounds like she signed herself up for a whole bunch of bad. She is doing what she wants to do with her life. That's what I call success. Okay, I, I can get behind that. So, that's what I mean. It's not like... Jessica, blink twice if you need us to come get you. <laughs> it's not that she's successful because she got married. I have a little thing about her getting married, actually. It's... Oh, yeah? Okay. <laughs> I'll just skip to it. So, the the hot tea on Jessica Heesh is that the wedding, the wedding invite site that she and her husband designed which included art from friends and former studio mates at the Pencil Factory, which was a place that she used to work, was lampooned by Gawker in an article called, quote, The World's Most Hipster Wedding Announcement May Justify Outlawing Love, unquote. <laughs> what the fuck? So they're shitting on her because she made this website? Yes. Wait, what, so what happens when you sign up for the website? Oh, you, you didn't sign up for the website. It was just like this entire website that was a wedding invitation which you take 500 years to scroll through um but due to backlash from fans friends family members and fellow designers gawker had to re issue a retraction rather the following day so um like mm -hmm. this little thing right here where it says oh brother mm -hmm. that was like gawker's <laughs> headline like title card kind of thing and that's using her art so yeah that's her art in there or friends art in there, and then they put, oh, brother, because they're like, it's so cringe to them. I thought it was really sweet. It was really cute. The story of Jess and Russ. Oh, my God. I think I totally know what this is. I think you do, because it's not. Oh, yep. This was on Reddit. <laughs> yeah. This was on Reddit a few years ago. So, yeah, I mean, it's not recent, but it's like, it takes forever to scroll through. She spent her days designing and filled her nights with freelance illustration. <laughs> girl <laughs> you were working you were working on your life 
He was a freelance web designer touring the country with his indie rock band trying to hit the big one. Look at look at his face. I know. Wh- who did this? Oh, Frank Stockton. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, he really good artwork. Oh, yeah. He barely they barely had time to eat, let alone date with their crazy schedules. They both wanted to meet someone special but couldn't figure out how to make it happen. I like the different art things though cuz they interact with like you scrolling. I know. I want to click on this and like play with it. But. Yeah. Oh, you can't. then the internet brought them together. Yeah. Wow, Ooh. that's so clever. I know. I like that one. It's like a keyboard. God. Oh, the blinkety blinks. Yeah. Is this her? Uh huh. Oh wow, she's really pretty. She's cute. Yeah. He sent postcards from the road. She gossiped with her friends about band dude. It was exciting and new, but they also knew it was something special. More suitors were lining up, but she decided to wait. <gasps> More suitors were lining up for her. Oh my god, look at them all. They were trying, (laughs) trying their asses. You know, he felt a bit rusty, but wanted the first real date to impress. After a month of anticipation, it had to be bold. And he decided on a reverse date. Drinks, followed by a dessert bar, followed by dinner at a cozy little restaurant. Wow, he did it backwards. That's crazy. I actually do love that because I really yeah. love dessert, and that's like what I want more than anything else. Yeah, I love dessert too. In only a few months, they were head over heels for each other. She encouraged him to apply to grad school. He encouraged her to captain her own ship. And uncharted waters lay ahead for both of them. Look There's a cat kitty. in the water. There's a water cat. It's a kitty. Oh my god, what am I clicking on? I don't want. I don't want to click on that. With their direction in question, his band called it quits. Though it was hard, he was now free to focus on his studies. At the same time, her daily drop cap project was lighting up the interwebs and bringing in more freelance work. Yes, that's one of the things that she credits her success to. With the end of the semester, the end of the band, and both of them tired of bike rides home at 2 a.m., Jessica convinced Russ to pack up his bachelor and move in. Ooh. Oh, man, look at her on her bike wheeling him. <laughs> she is definitely, like, she's, like, the pants. Oh, know? yeah. She's the driving force. She is the pants. He was offered a summer internship across the country, and they knew it was an offer he couldn't refuse. But during that long, lonely summer, he had an epiphany. Work, 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 Jessica! Jessica! He looked high and low for an engagement ring and finally found exactly what he was looking for. the ring would have to wait oh on her middle finger though i know i love that (laughs) she's like fuck anyone who wants any sort of information that i don't want to give them in a few months he had saved enough for the ring but that's when he and a few friends began piecing together grand schemes for the proposal the ring and the plan fell into place his flimsy excuse got her from Brooklyn into Manhattan, and an even flimsier one convinced her to follow him north. He surprised her in Granary Park. That is Grammar an sheep ugly park. ass ring. I'm so sorry, but like, <laughs> that's like not a good looking ring. Fucking if that is him. if that is the ring, I have to say no. It's gonna it's be not, a no for me. It's not my style. It's gonna but... be a no for me, dog. <laughs> um, confused by his reaction to her joke, it took her a crazy second. Oh, it took her a second to realize that he wasn't actually joking she shouted yes jumped into his arms and nearly knocked him off of his feet and when they walked through the door of the restaurant she was stunned and overjoyed to find that he'd invited 15 of their friends to join into the celebration that's a lot of friends actually who has 15 fucking friends (laughs) 
Join them in celebrating the life they've built together and all the happiness that awaits. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. That's really nice and sweet. I'm glad that happened. Yeah. You know? I mean, that was a lot. It was. That was a lot to scroll through. It was. So, it's it's, honestly, it's more impactful if you do it on a computer than on your phone, but... Well, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I I love the graphic design stuff, though, because, like, I think, like, those are all such good works, like, from each of those people. So, you know, whatever it takes to get your name out there, I think that's more for those artists than it is for for them at this point. Right. And obviously, bad, no press, all press is good press. Right. So, like, bad press or not. Yeah. It probably led to more people clicking on it and then discovering these artists. Probably, yeah. on overall i think yeah probably so, the best thing you know getting lampooned maybe not so bad after all well is that is that it for that's almost everything i wanted to say um the last thing i wanted to say was actually going back to the daily drop cat project definitely a really big part of her early commercial success which okay. means getting people to purchase things obviously so that ran from 2009 to 2011 you can still see it online um the archive is still up but it kind of seems like it's a precursor to the gap that she's bridged between like very clearly hand-drawn type and then like digital vectorized sort of type. Mm-hmm. So she's kind of found like a way in her current style to kind of marry those things. So it's a little bit more seamless. Whereas like, you know, some stuff you're like, oh, that's definitely done by hand. And there's other stuff you're like, that's definitely done on a computer. And she's found a way to make it like, did somebody draw that by hand? It looks so clean. Is this is this done by hand? Yeah. I don't think it's done by hand. I love my gun. Uh in two thousand eleven, Heesh and fellow designer Eric Marinovich began sharing a studio and ran the collaborative title case, which is now defunct, in San Francisco until twenty twenty. So they had about an eight year run doing that. Which that's not bad. That's pretty good. So, um, title case, they build themselves as, like, artisan typographers, basically. So, doing, like, custom typography and text for... Yeah, I think I've used them for, like, like you can get, like, um, you can purchase... Right. Um, fonts, like, new yes. fonts from them. Yes. Yeah. And there's, like, free fonts on there and stuff. Yes. They have all sorts of fun things. Um, so, at this time, after 2020, rather... Uh, Jessica relocated her studio to Oakland, where she remains today. And um, she had, I think, like five different fonts on her website that you could purchase, like, directly from her, which was cool. And then I had, like, a little picture here of a couple of different things that she did um, type for. So, like, Party Nails and The Pussy Project and Odd Fellows, And then I just liked them. I think they're fun. Yeah, that looks. I mean, they're cute. Oh, but th- yeah. there's. She's I got really other... got into like understanding the yeah nuances of building fonts and stuff. I think it's. I think it's okay. It's just you know. Yeah. Well, I had an entire typography class or three, so <laughs> I guess that's why I have an appreciation for it. I don't know. But uh, she does other like more colorful stuff. I like her colorful stuff a lot. Like there's cheeky kind of like Christmassy things and shit so yeah she's done quite a variety she seems like she's very successful she is I'm very excited that she's able to do everything and like have it be well received because like her her website's really cute too it's like it's got pinks and 
greens and yellows and just like fun colors and shapes and different things that you can click on. And so I'll probably put a screenshot of that um, on the Instagram as well. But that's all I have for Jessica Heesh. Jessica Heesh, be our friend. <laughs> I wish. That'd be cool. Jessica. No, she sounds like a lovely person. She does. You always know that, like, someone is genuinely, like, a good soul if they, like, have all of these people who just, like, obviously, clearly, right. she has so many friends and so many yeah. people who are in her life who are willing to contribute to her. Probably, like, a good community of artist people, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. That's really awesome. Love that for her. Well, cool. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> Do we have anything else that we wanted to talk about? think so i think i dropped all my tea at the beginning oh i have a loaded bit of tea oh tell us well i mean since this this podcast has uh we took our break obviously this is season two fresh froche um i am no longer in a relationship that's right i did i did like want to talk about it because it was i don't have a lot of situations in my life recently where i pick up with someone and start actually dating them and you know get to the status of boyfriend girlfriend and then it goes badly. Like I am not. She's not a serial dater. No, I'm. I'm not, and I'm not somebody who easily gets into. Like if I get into a situation with with someone, like I, I leave usually very respectfully. And this was one of the first situations I've had in my adult life where it didn't end up being like that. You know, I've worked so hard on myself as a person. Like I have, I have gone to therapy for so many years, and you know, continue to go to therapy and. Like, I I think it's really funny sometimes when you meet someone who has done work on themselves independently and holds themselves to a really high standard, but doesn't see themselves very clearly because they've never been forced to rationalize an outside perspective and Mm -hmm. been vulnerable enough to let somebody actually fix them and actually heal them and get them past those like inner battles and inner hurdles. I experienced that like very acutely with Dennis and... I think it it might be relevant to anyone else who's going through like a similar struggle with someone that they care about a lot. Like for me, it was a difference of, I know myself very well at this point and I know exactly who I am. I know when my boundaries are pushed. I know what that feels like. And I know how to express my feelings in the moment right away. No holds bounds. I don't care about hurting anyone's feelings. Like I will talk through it with them, but it's not meant to be that it's meant to like, okay, if I feel like I'm in a situation where I'm stressed, I'm going to tell you that. Right. Right. I'm very upfront about it. And like, I don't expect that to be hurtful to other people. I just will tell that person. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's part of communication. It's like, Hey, I'm feeling some kind of way. Yeah. And, and I've met so many different guys who struggle with this mostly they're mostly guys because unfortunately societally we don't place enough emphasis on male mental health and we tell them you need to swallow your feelings and you need to stop yeah you know and this is what i experienced with him is that every single time he communicated something to me it would be like a day later Mm -hmm. it would be like a week later or he just wouldn't say it at all until i was saying something to him and then suddenly it was a problem right we ended where uh, he started screaming at me and I've, I've never been in like a scream fight in yeah. a long, long time. I don't like that. I kind of love it actually. Like oh, not going to no. lie. I was a little bit turned mm. on. I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is kind of hot. Not going to lie. Like oh. I kind of like when people get a little feisty around me, but no. it was wildly inappropriate. Yeah. Um, and you know, I respected I respected him so much as a person, yeah. even though there were like big signs that like he had not done work on himself, like 
in front of an actual like professional uh, yeah, yeah yeah and was just one of those people who was like well i know i'm a moral person and i know i'm a good person and like actually isn't uh, yeah that way mm-hmm. which is you know sad to say because like i'm not going to sit there and be like i'm the most moral person ever i'm not i'm very right. free to admit that like right. i come from an extremely selfish place a lot of times and like i work very hard to refit that and yeah. retrofit that and make my issues not Mm-hmm. all about me and and to try to see from the other's perspective so in the end i end up with rational yeah like physical empathy for someone right. even though internally i'm not feeling empathy it ends up being manifested yeah. empathy in the real world i always feel like you're empathizing with me emotionally so you know i've never I, I, thank you <laughs> thank you for recognizing this that's amazing no i i, I love that and so many people in my life tell me the same thing. They're like, yeah, you know, you, you frequently are able to help me with problems. And like, yeah. and I've never heard anybody tell me differently. And it's like, yeah, because like four years ago, I decided that I would get serious, serious mm-hmm. mental help. Yeah. And like everything has been fine since then yeah. because I'm able to work on myself and be, and be using tools that I've gotten. Right. And I'm not perfect. Like I fuck up frequently. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Big same. So my experience with him was basically that Every single time we would, like, I would say something out the side of my mouth or say something, you know. As you do. Random, whatever. And it would take him several days to talk to me, if he ever talked to me at all. And he would physically give me everything I ever needed in the relationship and more. So he was extremely affectionate. He was extremely caring. Like, take stuff out of my hands. Like, open doors for me. Like, he was always very gentle. Like, you know, I, I really commend him for that. But he completely was super manipulative and fucked with my head. And part of it was like, from the day I met him, our very first date, I told him I had NPD. Yeah. At the end of the day, he was not okay with that. People are okay with it or they're not okay with it. Like, they take it more seriously than it is. I don't, like, those are not the people for me. Right. Because at the same, if you have a problem with the fact that I have a a mental disorder. Right. If I'm free enough to admit that I have a mental disorder. Right. You're probably not going to deal with my mental disorder. Mm -hmm. But that's not how people think sometimes and that's okay. Uh, Yeah, because people are like, oh, I can, whatever. And it's like, no, you can't. (laughs) Well, they, I guess they assume that. And the thing is, for him, he was seeing it everywhere. He was he was making my thing out to be his big demon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I never, ever... In fact, I would say I displayed probably the most empathy that I've displayed with a partner in a really long time. Right. Whereas uh, Dennis was constantly tearing me down. He was constantly criticizing me mm-hmm. over random little things. Like, I... There was this time i remember specifically when i was at armature works with him Mm -hmm. and i had sent him so the subreddit r anti-work r.i.p yeah because they just got taken down but i sent him this post about this guy who worked two salary jobs from home so he worked like a nine to five job oh yeah that's right you told me about that yeah and so like then i sent it to dennis it's like aha this guy's got it figured out like i like as like a funny thing Mm mm-hmm and I, I genuinely don't think this guy is doing anything wrong. Like, if he's able to show up to both jobs and yeah. each of his employers, like, think he's doing a good job, why the fuck would that be a problem? Yeah, like, good for him. For- right. I was like, yeah, good for you. And Dennis spent four hours outside on the lawn at Armature Works berating me, asking me if I felt morally if this was a good idea if I would ever do this, because if I had even attempted to, to work two jobs at once, Dennis would not be able to be with me. <laughs> and 
just this like he ran me through the ringer. Like, like how is that any different from working like a day job and then a serving job? It's not. That's two jobs. Yeah, that's the thing. And Dennis looked at it from the perspective of, of course, like not to, I mean, give too much away about him, but he is uh, somebody who he is a co-founder of his company. So he looked at it from the perspective of how devastated he would be if he relied on someone to work for him exclusively and then they were splitting their time. But the thing that got me was that like, as an employer, you're responsible for your employees. So if you feel like someone is slipping through the cracks and not doing the work that they're supposed to be doing and not meeting expectations, the only power you have is to sit there and check in with them. And then if they're not doing it, let them go. Yeah. That is a free market and it works both ways. So like as an employee, I can choose to have two jobs at once. And if I'm fucking up, I could get fired. Right. Like I could get fired very easily. We don't have to have contracts like they do in Germany and other places in the world. This was the thing that I spent. And I I thought we walked away from that conversation totally fine. Right. After four hours. Four hours. But he had brought that up to me again. And then he brought it up to me again. And he he goes, I'm seriously questioning your morality. So in the end, what broke us up, the fight that was the end-all be-all fight. The the straw that broke the camel's back. The straw that ended up breaking the camel's back was because I went to my apartment and asked them if I could move out. So I bought the house beginning of December. My lease ended end of January. Um, So I had a full month that I didn't need or assumed I was not going to need because I don't need two full months to move out of something. Mm -hmm. So I asked them, hey, can I shave off January from my rent? And they said, absolutely not. No, you cannot do that because if you were to vacate early, then you'd have to pay an extra month of rent. Which is bullshit. Which he argued with me and he said that if I vacated 60 days out, then I would only have to pay 30 days of rent, meaning that I, if, I, if I left December 1st, mm-hmm. then December and January, I would only have to pay December, but I would uh, technically be out of there for two months. And I was like, no, because I still need December. So what you're saying is irrelevant. Like, I mean, but that's not what they said. They said if I left early, if I left out of January, then I would have to pay an extra month of rent, meaning I'd also have to pay for February, which is like ridiculous. And we went back and forth on this. And he started screaming at me. And then eventually he started calling me a liar. And I looked at him flabbergasted. And I realized in that moment that this was the culmination of, and I'll just say it, a spoiled fucking brat. Oh, yeah. Like, this was a big example of, like, somebody who was coddled for a long time, was not able to just let things be, like, mm-hmm. let a conversation settle. If somebody tells you, hey, shut the fuck up, you're wrong. Right, right. They weren't able to take that yeah. as, like, no, I'm I'm wrong, I should just stop. I I pretty much like got caught up in that thought that I had wasted my time. Yeah. And it, it kind of fucked me up a little bit because it wasn't the fact that like, I mean, Dennis could go fuck himself, like for all I care. Like he clearly had his priorities fucking yeah. wrong. Yeah. And I wish that he had just understood more about himself and like understood that someone like me is not someone he can be with because I'm full of opinions. I'm full yes. of challenges. Like, yes. I'm no, not an wants... easy ride for right. any man. That ain't me, buddy. No. Like, that ain't me. And it was never me. No. It was never me from the day he met me. 
but I thought he was a good person. Like I thought he was a gentle right. person, or at least he his thing was always about being a gentle person. Yeah. And really, that's not what he was. He conned you. He did. He really. And I'm not, I'm not easily conned. You are not. No. So like, you I usually guess in a way, the good bullshit job. pretty quick. But yeah, I mean that. And you know, from there, like the way that he handled everything, he sent me like long notes, and I sent him like a long note back. And I had a moment of weakness with him, and I I wanted the relationship back. Yeah. Um, and that was that was a really bad idea. Honestly, though, that happens a lot with like, for lack of a better term, abusive relationships. Yeah. Well, I think it was like I was I had just cut off my birth control too at that time. That doesn't help ever. Yeah, and I <laughs> I had been off my birth. Well, I, my birth control. I don't have a period. I don't have anything. Yeah. Like, it's, I think like I just well, I'm super hormonal. This is what I want. I'm just going to go for yeah. what I want. Yeah. But yeah, I I do think it was because he abused me in probably the only way that I am able to be abused, right. which is that you use like the fact that I have no empathy or the fact that I have like mm-hmm. a low morality threshold, like against me. Right. Like I looked at him as a way to be like, Oh, yo, you're the standard I'm supposed to meet. Right. Oh, so you're giving me a standard. Perfect. Because I've always needed a guide point. I never actually know where the line is because mm-hmm. I'm always trying to figure it out. Yeah. And I only figure it out through using my internal tools. Mm-hmm. But guess what? This is the thing. My tools are the most fucking accurate thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, this fucking guy was not was not the standard of morality. No. Like fucking no, he was not. Like no, no. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's what a what a guy. I just want everyone what to know out there. Like I I needed to vent a little bit, but also yes. like if you are in a situation with someone who criticizes you for things about yourself you cannot change, that is someone you need to Pack up and put away. Yeah. And you don't sit there and argue with them and debate them because the minute you do that, the minute you debate over what is right and wrong about yourself, Mm -hmm. you've given them power and control. Oh, absolutely. You've given them the ability to manipulate. Yes. And you don't need to have that conversation. That's like every, every serious relationship I've ever been in has been with people like that, (laughs) which sucks. Yeah. But I figured that out about myself. So the last time that I was like talking to somebody and that shit started happening, he had three strikes. Once he hit that third strike, I fucking blocked him. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Yeah. I, I, sh- I honestly, I set up a three strike policy with Dennis too. And that when he yeah. started like screaming at me, yeah, I, I was like, there's no coming back from this. Yeah. He screamed at me and called me a liar over when I was moving out of my own apartment that had nothing to fucking do with him. Yeah. Like, like, what? Yeah, it's the most bizarre, ridiculous way and most obvious way that someone can blow up the relationship because I think he tricked me so good because everything before then was subtle. Where, you know, I sent him a meme. That's the kind of shit, like, James would fucking do that shit. Yeah. it's That's really fucking evil to do that to someone. And I know that, like, Probably Dennis was just trying to help himself feel better. You have to be able to rationalize things about your partner and let them off the hook. Like you can't be holding a fucking trial for your partner every 10 minutes in a relationship. Mm -hmm. That does not a good relationship make. Yeah. And I've made this three strike policy in in my head. I was like, I was like, dude, like I can never satisfy this fucking man, no matter how hard I try. Yeah. Honestly, looking back, like I, I blame myself a lot for not seeing like the signs, but yeah, but I mean, but it only lasted like the thing is, is that like it lasted three and a half months because past that argument, I didn't stay with him. 
anyone else, like, maybe they would have stayed with him. Maybe they would have said, you know what, Dennis, maybe you're right. Like, maybe I'm wrong about the apartment. And, you know, I don't know why this is such a big issue, but whatever it takes to make you feel better. And I didn't do that. No, because you shouldn't. Well, I couldn't. Yeah. That's not how my my situation works. But you should not. Yeah. (laughs) Whether you as in you or you as in people in general. I think it allowed me to feel so much better about my disorder in the end because yeah. it was it literally I met him as the antithesis of somebody who NPD really fucking bothered him. He brought up so many conversations about how I could be moral. And I literally had to laugh at him because I'm like, you understand me to be moral, so what's what more do you need from me? Yeah. Well, like that's... if you understood me inherently to be a moral and good person, then this wouldn't be such a big conversation to you. All right. I treated everyone I ever met in his life with respect. Right. And I always will. I mean, even I met them now, like, I, they're they're great people and they'll continue to be great people. Yeah. The only person I ever had a problem with was him. Yeah, yeah. Because he was the only, he had a problem with me. Right. And personally, like, if he wasn't constantly criticizing and constantly bringing shit up to me. Mm-hmm there wouldn't have been anything wrong with our relationship because he didn't act on it in the moment. He wasn't sitting there and like freaking out. Like whenever things were hurting him, he would just weaponize it and Mm -hmm. bring it up at these like overarching times. I don't know. I thought, I I thought about it for a long time and I was like, wow, like that's the first time in my adult life that I've met someone who truly was thought that they were such a good person. And I, I guarantee you, he still thinks he's a very good person. Oh yeah. 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 He just deeply, deeply needs a reset because he has only used his own self to reaffirm himself. Mm-hmm. When you do that, you get into a feedback loop. Right. Like, you can't see yourself clearly. No. It, it's like me before I went to therapy. Yeah. Like, was I an amazing person? Of course I was. It was me. I'm fucking amazing. <laughs> and then I go to therapy and realize, like, oh, I'm struggling forming relationships and I'm struggling forming attachments because... I can't love anything but myself. Truly, I can. I'm not fully formed enough to do that. And it was a big, like big conversation. And it just like opened up a lot of doors about like, how do I relate to other people? Yeah. And it's not the way you always think. It's not. No. But how can you know that unless you examine through the eyes of someone who knows? Right. And I think you've done a really, really good job of like working on that. Thank you. It's just sad to see someone who can tout themselves oh yeah and there's so many people out there who do that yeah who tout themselves as being like this end-all be-all of Mm -hmm. like hey i'm a good person i know exactly how being a good person works and it's like those concepts are first of all gray concepts there's no such thing as a good person and a bad person you know there are people who routinely make negative choices that affect other people negatively Mm -hmm. and one of the negative choices that you can make is constantly telling everyone how they should and should not be yes (laughs) so (laughs) Yeah. There it is in a nutshell. Yeah. No, you have to decide whether, can I live with this or can I not live with this? Mm-hmm. And then you, and make, you make that silently. You yes. don't make that that person's problem. Yes. Yeah. Other than, I will say, like, chewing with your mouth open. Yeah, you make that their problem. <laughs> that, that's the one That thing. is clearly their problem. <laughs> they need to shut their fucking mouth when that's they chew. Disgusting. That is tragedy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to get that off my chest, and, and maybe that would help if um, anyone out there is struggling with being manipulated or feeling exposed in a relationship. Yeah. If you feel like your relationship is shitty and you don't understand why, yeah. maybe it's because your partner treats you like shit. Maybe not. Like, if you're feeling anxious 
in the relationship and you are constantly torn up inside. You don't know why. And when you express something to your partner, whether you're a dentist or you're a Nisa, if you're either in those positions and you feel like you're being pressed upon to be in this relationship, fucking leave. Yes. If your man's is like, hey, I like it better when you have long hair, but you don't like having long hair, don't fucking grow your hair out. Yeah. I did that. I've done that for four different men. Guess what? It was bad every time. I don't like myself with long hair. It looks bad. I mean, it doesn't look bad. It's just not me. That's the thing. It's not you. It's not me. It's not you, and it shouldn't have to be you, you know? Right. Like, we all, in a relationship, we make compromises. You have to make compromises, you know? But, and you can bring things up and communicate things in a healthy way. And I don't, I don't mean to sit there and say, like, every time he brought something up to me, it was, it was a bad thing. We did have some really good, very forwarding conversations. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, there was, there was many good moments where I feel like we made real progress Mm -hmm. towards understanding each other as individuals, but there were so many bad moments where like the communication was not, not it like that where he was weaponizing like criticisms just to make me dance. Yeah. And you have to know when you're talking to someone, if this is going to completely debilitate them and hurt them, yeah. And if it's actually going to end up being meaningful in the end, or if you're just saying it to hurt someone, if you look at someone and say, oh, like you're questioning their morality, don't fucking do that. Like that's how don't do it. That, no, like that's not a conversation you should be having with the person who's your partner. It doesn't make sense. Or if their morals are really screwed up, consider not being their partner. <laughs> Right. It, or you just say, Hey, you know what? This doesn't work for me and break up with them. Yes. Like why stay in something that you're clearly unhappy with? Like, I know it's hard because everyone does not have a great paying job or they don't have a lot of housing options because everything is expensive and yeah, terrible. That's different. Yeah. But I just, you know, yeah. They're probably like the best thing that's happened for me personally was ending the last relationship that I was in. Yeah, like, you have honestly seriously thrived. I have. You know, I've grown a lot as a person. I have a lot more self-confidence now. Yeah. Like, even though I'm fat, like, I own it now. I'm not, like, ashamed that I'm fucking fat. Like, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you were always, like, as as beautiful and amazing as you, you always were, you know? It just you. takes, like, you know, not getting your self-worth from the way that someone who views you negatively... Right. It's pressuring you to see yourself as yes. so that you can change for them. Yes. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like, you know, I think I've said this probably a few times on here, but like joining Derby and learning how to skate and stuff like that's given me a lot of improved, like self confidence and like self worth mm-hmm. because like I'm learning a skill. It's very difficult, but like, I'm still doing it. I'm not giving up. Even though, like, now and then I will take a break and not do it for a while. But, um, like, my mom and I went skating the other week at the cemetery, and she was like, you've gotten so much better. Yeah. And I was just like, thank you, mommy. Because I was like, you know, like, that means a lot to me coming from my mom. Because, like, when I told my parents that I was going to start skating, they were like, are you sure? Like, you can barely walk some days. And I was just like, that kind of hurts my feelings. But I understand why you're concerned. Because, yes, I do trip over my own feet. But it's a totally different, it's a totally different thing. Yeah. I mean, as long as, like, it's fulfilling for you, you know. 
and it is healthy and like you're moving your body and you're doing you know, yeah and it's, it's so hard like it's, it's very hard it's so hard yeah it's the hardest sport i've ever done there's a lot of crying that happens <laughs> endorphins uh, release yeah, them yeah well the crying is more being frustrated that i can't get things right the first time i try them yeah, yeah. which you know <laughs> how could i i've never done try, them try again. but i mean like it's it's nice to have you know like I, I i didn't go to practice for about a month um and then like i went to practice the other night like i didn't skate because i was just like not feeling it but um it was just nice to like show up and everybody's like oh my god like, I am here. Yeah, we're a safe place where every time you go back, regardless of whether you miss, right. you know, a few days, like, they're not going to be like, oh, fuck you, you didn't show yeah. up. Like, they're going to just be like, oh, my God, hi. Like, yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. No, it's, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, if, I mean, it only happens very rarely, like, which yeah. I think is sad, but, like, bittersweet because, like, you do find those little pockets where it's just such yeah. a great feeling, you know? So my advice to you guys is if you ever wanted to try roller derby please try roller derby <laughs> they're beautiful people them derby gals gals guys they's we got we got all sorts derby folks yeah and i mean yep yeah, we're starting we're starting 2022 we're uh, i mean oh, fucking single pringle now bitch yeah, I'm baby out Sexy here in these streets and, single, and you know what that means ah <laughs> it means some really juicy dating stories, Ooh, of baby. which I have racked up quite a few, but I will not regale you guys now because I've already spent quite a bit shit talking Dennis. <laughs> I need to get it out long. there. I need yeah. to get it out there. You did though. You know, I'm I, glad. I think it's I think it's really awful at this age yeah. of you know, we're we're fucking adults now. Mm -hmm. And it's like if you act like that as an adult, mm -mm, yeah. yeah. At that point you're you're fucking right, fucked up. That's what, like, when I was talking to the guy that I gave this three strikes, and then I was like, you're fucking blocked. I'm like, you're 40. Yeah. And I am not 17. And you're a man child. Like, this is not working on me anymore. Like, we are done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the negging. Yeah. You know, just, like, making you feel like shit so that you, what, feel good when you're with them? Like, I don't know it's what like, they think is going to yeah, happen. Like, I'm not going to let you walk over me. Sorry. But anyway, we will wrap this hizzy up. <laughs> Welcome to season two. Welcome to season two. Yeah. We're Woo! Gonna more. We're going to shit talk men <laughs> that treat us like shit, but only if they treat us like shit because they deserve it. That was beautiful. Thank you. What a way to close out Thank the episode. You. You're welcome. Beautiful. All right. Well. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.